Napa know-how. Just in time for the holidays, select Craftsman tools are now available at Napa. Celebrate with a Craftsman 20-volt cordless impact wrench kit for just $149.99. It's the perfect gift for everyone in your list, even you. So get great savings on select Craftsman tools, now available at your local Napa store. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores, while supplies last. Offer ends 12-31-19. The Geeky Retro Nerd Show is part of the Art, Comedy and Pop Culture Network of Podcasts. Hello, hiya, how are you doing? Welcome, welcome to the Geeky Retro Nerd Show. My name is Adam and I am a Geeky Retro Nerd. And this show is available on all the main podcast apps, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spreaker, you name it, I'm on there, I'm on them all. Uh, so whatever, <laughs> whatever app you're listening to me on, please subscribe and uh, tell your friends. And, of course, the show, I almost forgot, as always, how could I forget? The show, as always, is sponsored by TruffleShuffle.com. Head on over to the website and you will see a vast array of geeky t-shirts and retro gifts. And if you use my exclusive discount code GRNS15, that is GRNS15, you will get a 15% discount on a spend of £25 or more. And there is international shipping, so nobody loses out. Also, a new thing I've just started doing is um, if you would like a shout out on the show, and if you would like to be credited as an executive producer on this show, check out the link in the episode notes and it will take you to a place called Liberapay, where you can donate to the show and everything you donate gets invested in the show and if you do that i think it's from as little as 97 pence per week you will be credited on the show you will get a shout out your name will be listed in the uh, episode notes as as a as an executive producer and the executive producers for this episode this very 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 special episode my 50th episode is Glenn Davies and Martin Wilcox, who are good pals of mine. So thank you very much for believing in the show. Thank you for donating to the show. The executive producers, Glenn Davies and Martin Wilcox. Now then, I'm excited. I'm very excited because, like I just mentioned, this is my 50th episode and I've gone big. And this is exactly why I started doing the podcast, because I wanted to be speaking to people like this. Yes, Flash Gordon. Flash Gordon. Oh, Flash Gordon. <laughs> it's one of my favourite movies. I absolutely love it. And I've only gone and done it. I've only gone and done it, haven't I? I've got Flash himself, Sam J. Jones. I've got Dale, Melody Anderson. And as well as a special bonus, I've got Lisa Downs, who was the producer and director of the fantastic documentary Life After Flash. Um, and if, again, if you look in the, the episode notes, there's a link 
where you can go and buy Life After Flash. It's an incredible documentary, but you'll hear more about that on the section where I speak to Lisa, which is coming up very, very shortly. But I don't want to keep bleating on about Flash Gordon. I'm, I'm, I'm so excited for you to hear these conversations I've had. So let's get stuck straight in. First up, it's Lisa Downs, the producer and director of Life After Flash. Enjoy. So I'm very excited to welcome to the Geeky Retro Nerd Show, Lisa Downs, who is the producer and director of the fantastic documentary, Life After Flash. Lisa, welcome to the show. Well, that's a lovely welcome. Thank you very much. <laughs> and I think you deserve a, a lovely welcome because um, I've watched Life After Flash and, it, and it's an incredible um, documentary. I, I bet a lot of blood, sweat and tears went into <laughs> that um, that project. <laughs> it really did. <laughs> <laughs> so be, before we talk about um, Life After Flash, it's, uh, the, you know, the documentary itself, um, why why Flash Gordon? Why did you do a documentary about Flash Gordon, Lisa? Well, I didn't actually I didn't actually set out to do a film about Flash Gordon. I'm very happy in in how everything kind of turned out with it. Um, but I didn't kind of sit around and go, you know what, I'd really love to make a film about Sam and Flash Gordon. How am I gonna do it? It kind of found me. We had um Sam and I had a mutual friend called Lisa Doyle who they had met working on this tv show called the jump which you being british you would know about um so that so that's the one where they throw themselves off the edge of the <laughs> the, the big um jump ridiculous concept <laughs> but as the history of the show goes there's a lot of injuries and sam injured his shoulder so he never made it on screen he ended up in All a right. hospital for it and didn't end up doing the show but she got to know him through that and then because i knew her we were talking one day and she had mentioned that and I got very excited at the fact that she knew Flash Gordon and we started talking <laughs> about what he's been doing and I kind of mentioned it would be interesting to do a documentary on him and then not really thinking anything of it. It was just, you know, kind of drunken chit-chat at a, a party. And she said we'll put together a, tea, um, a, uh, a proposal for it, which I did, and she sent it to his agent at the time. Um, and then I ended up on a Skype call with Sam pitching it to him, which was very surreal. I was like talking to him but messaging all my friends at the same time going you'll never get so it was um yeah it just kind of happened really organically and I'm you know I grew up with Flash Gordon as did so many people so it was a really important film in my life so it was something that I could really get excited about um, and with independent film you you need to be really in love with the topic because of the journey that independent film takes you on. So I was very lucky that it kind of all fell into place. And, and that's what I was going to say. It, for, for that type of film, you, you really, really have to like the subject matter to, because um, it must have been a massive commitment. It was. Yeah. And it was, and you don't really know what the commitment is when you start. So mm -hmm. this was the first independent feature documentary that I had done I had done a scripted feature prior to this um that you know was more structured we had the mm -hmm. funding for it and you know it was a different approach to it but this one was very much 
started as a story of Sam and trying to work out how as a UK filmmaker to to make it happen when the subject is in America. Um, but, you know, it's it's one of those things that unless you just start it, it will never happen. If you sit around and wait to raise all the money, it's never going to happen. If you sit around and wait for it to be the perfect timing, it's never going to happen. It'll just be one of these ideas that, you know, in 10 years you go, oh, wouldn't it, that, that would have been nice to to do. So you just really have to start it. And that's what I like about documentaries is that you can, you know, even if it's just one interview with someone. Uh, so, Lisa, Flash Gordon was released in 1980. I was born in 1980. I think you are a couple of years younger than me, I believe. Yes, um, yeah, so 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 you're you're similar to me. You won't have seen the movie until well after it, it was released. What what is it about Flash Gordon, the movie, that you love? What what why do you what gets you going about Flash Gordon? <laughs> well, it's it's funny to talk to someone else who hadn't grown up with it in the cinema because all the pretty much all the people that I spoke to in the making of the documentary had the same story or a very similar story where it was like they were eight or nine and their dad took them to the cinema and the colours and the sound, you know, the music and the just everything stood yeah, out yeah. to them as a kid. And so I never had that experience. And so it was it was interesting to kind of compare notes on it because the the thing we had in common was the fact that it was still part of our childhood. So I first saw it, I don't remember the first exact first time, but I first saw it when it was on TV in England. I think it's like a Christmas film or, you know, it's definitely yeah. on every year at some point. Um, so that's that's how I grew up with it. And it was just part of my childhood, you know, and it was the wanting to be part of, that world and I wanted to be Dale and I wanted to go on these adventures with everyone and that's what I loved about it and I I love the connection to my childhood is probably one of the main things that keeps me watching it again um so it wasn't anything specific about the film per se it was just every time I watch it I go back to being that little kid being in awe of this amazing fantasy world and and wanting to be part of it um and funnily, the the documentary was screened at Beyond Fest last year where I was sitting next to Melody and it was a 35 print. And it was the first time I had seen the film in the cinema. Oh. And it was a 35 mil. And I was next to Melody. <sighs> and I was watching it. And it was, A, the most surreal experience anyway. But, B, I finally saw it and I just went, now I get it. Like, now I I understand what people are saying when they talk about seeing it in the cinema and the music is just so much more incredible and the colours and the costumes and it gave me this whole new appreciation for it as an adult as opposed to just having that nostalgic connection to it that I had previously. Well, I'm incredibly jealous that you've seen it on the big screen because I haven't seen it on the big screen. Uh, it's um, so amazing. Uh, well, occasionally I host cinema screenings, Lisa, and I'm doing Back to the Future Part 2 in a couple of weeks' time. Um uh, and I, I've, I've been trying to get Flash Gordon, but it, it's not available for screening. Um, and I'm gutted really? because, like I say, I, have, I haven't seen it on the big screen. I want to see it on the big screen. And I'm even more jealous that you were sitting next to Melody Anderson <laughs> watching it on the big screen. though that you say that it's not available because I organised the 35th reunion in 2015 and we had a screening of it then and we got the, the print shipped from 
Scotland for it. Um, so I, I'm not sure why it was. It was CP though. It wasn't a 35 mil, but I didn't get to see it then. I was too busy like rolling posters and trying to organize everything in the background. So I was hoping to see it then, but I didn't. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I can certainly help if you do want to put on a screen. I'll speak to you after this. Um, but no, yeah, the, the the thing I love about Flash Gordon is, you know, I, I, I was a I was a I was a little boy watching this movie, and you know, it, it was a proper comic book film, and um, you know, Flash was the hero, and and something I said to Melody was, you know, uh, Dale wasn't a damsel in distress in this movie. Um, yeah, she she she, she held her own, you know. Yeah. She, very similar to uh, you know the likes of uh, Princess Leia or somebody like that who who weren't necessarily a damsel in distress. They they could hold their own and they were very ballsy and you know f- um, you know could look after themselves. And and it's the nostalgia factor now, like you say, when you watch it now, it it still it still resonates with me because of that link with my childhood um, that I abs- and I, I used to watch it every day. Every day. Oh yeah, without fail. For a while, I went just watching it every day. How old were you when you watched it every day? Um, probably about seven, seven, eight, nine. Like yourself, I can't actually remember mm. the first time I actually watched it. But when, but when I think back to my childhood and watching that movie, a uh, couple of things stand out. Uh, one thing is the the amazing soundtrack, yes, um, which is so fantastic, and and I still listen to it now in the mm-hmm. car, and um, when I'm driving somewhere, I pretend I'm Flash Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Listen, listen to the soundtrack in the car, and one of the other things is I hadn't really seen anything like that before. You know, I was I was well into Star Wars and Back to the Future and. And, and, and you know, and, and in some respects, Flash Gordon is a sort of a space adventure, if you like. But it's a million miles away from something like Star Wars. Um, you know, with the, the you know the the it's very flamboyant. It's a very flamboyant yeah. film, I think, and with the costumes and the color, like you say. Uh, it's it's I quite it's quite campy. Yeah, I think that's a lot down to also the the European influence in it and that really strong Italian connection, you know, with Dino and a lot of the crew were Italian and the writer was Italian. And it was just, you know, you have something like Star Wars and Back to the Future and they're very, I I mean, I love them, but very American cinema, isn't it? Hollywood. But then when you have this European influence where they can be flamboyant and, and they're not beholden to, I guess how the studios would expect a film to come out and perhaps in America, um, especially at that time when, you know, there were a lot of those kind of star Wars films around at that time. And, you know, it was just this, this amazing breath of fresh air um, that came out, I think because of that, definitely that Italian connection. Yeah. And what I find really interesting, Lisa, is about that sort of European influence in the film is that the film did a lot better uh, box office wise uh, in Europe, didn't it? Than yeah. um, the USA yeah. or anywhere else for that matter. I think it, you know, it, it did really well over here, not so well over in America. And I think that might have something to do with it. You know, the, the, the fact that there was such a, a European specifically Italian uh, influence in the movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also you had, 
um, a lot of the cast were from the UK. Yeah. So it was definitely more of a European flavour of a film than perhaps America were used to. And I don't know how open-minded Americans were for cinema that they didn't know how to take at that stage. Um, so, yeah, it was – it definitely didn't do well in the States. But, yeah, for, for sure, Europe, it was uh, – it was hugely popular and then obviously when it became available on VHS was then when it really opened up in America. And, and you know, you, you mentioned the, you know, the, the largely British cast, mm. um, apart, apart from the, the two lead actors, you know, it, it was a largely British cast. And I remember watching it when, as a kid and going, oh, that's him out of blue, Peter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, bless him, Peter. Yeah. <laughs> Peter Duggar, Peter Duggar yeah. out of blue, Peter. But that, yeah, I think, and that's one of the actual, I was nervous when I was doing this documentary because I didn't know how an American audience would react to it because, you know, I was talking to people that I knew in the UK would go, oh my God, that's the guy from Blue Peter or that's, you know, the guy from Crystal Maze. But, <laughs> and, you know, Brian Blessed is obviously such a national treasure here. So it was interesting seeing the reaction between the UK audience and the American audience and where people laughed and maybe didn't quite get things that Brian Blessed was saying. Um, yeah. Interesting comparison. <laughs> and, and yeah, uh, Brian Blessed is a national treasure, isn't he? And we love him. Uh, he, he plays such a fantastic role in that movie. Uh, I mean, now he's in, you know, he's, he's in things like Peppa Pig now that my, that my son watches. That's I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, he is. He's in Peppa Pig. My son watches it. And, um, you know, I mean, everybody knows Brian Blessed, the unmistakable voice yes. of Brian Blessed. You can't, you cannot mistake him. Um, so, so by a, a weird twist of fate or a quirk of fate, Sam, uh, is meant to be on this British TV show, The Jump. And, and yeah. for listeners listening in, if you, if you, I don't know if this is on anywhere else in the world, but The Jump, and I don't even know if it's still on here, but The Jump was a TV show where it was ski jumping, basically, wasn't it? And it got celebrities on to do ski jumping. I mean, it's such a stupid idea. <laughs> How that got insured, I have no idea, but it's, you know, and that's, they're not the easiest things to do, even if you've been training most of your life for it. And then to get people on who've never skied before was just, you know, I'm amazed they had people sign up, to be honest. But, yes, that is exactly the concept of the show. <laughs> By this quirk of fate, Sam injures himself and you have this mutual friend. What a friend yeah. to have who, who, was, who, was, was, able, who was able to set this up for you so so something i was wondering was so so you know you you, you said before that you, you you didn't really look you weren't looking to uh, you didn't set about to do this uh, documentary life after flash it sort of fell in your lap yeah uh, well, well not fell in your lap but you know it, no it, it actually it kind of did to be honest <laughs> <laughs> the opportunity came about it fell in my lap yeah it, yeah it presented itself and you grabbed it so something i was wondering was you know uh, th this film that you love, you've, you've you've grown up with it, you know that it's got the nostalgia factor, um, uh, and you need to go out and um, speak to the the stars of the show and 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 the crew as well, I suppose. Um, what was that like? 
um, setting out to uh, uh, interview cast members from one of your favorite movies because because what they say is don't they, never meet your heroes yeah um what was the experience like for you it was it was very daunting and it was very surreal and it's something that i am so incredibly grateful for um the film started out the initial concept was to just do a film about sam's life without knowing what Sam's life was, you know, there's only so much you can Google about certain people. So I only knew what was on Wikipedia. And so when we met the first interview I did, which you'll see in the documentary, it's in Laredo, it's where Sam's kind of left of screen and you have the tape Mm -hmm. with all the merchandise on. So that was the very, very first time I met Sam. Um, We went over to Texas for five days and that was a very top level interview. Like how did the audition come about? What was it like? playing Flash Gordon, you know, little anecdotes from set, not really knowing his story. Um, and then because I knew something happened on set with him, you know, rumours circling. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought, well, you can't really tell that side of the story without talking to Melody. And Melody happened to be at the same Comic-Con as well. Um, so there was this very surreal evening where I was at dinner with Sam and Melody and I hadn't really – Wow. Known them very long at all, and I just I had to go to the bathroom just to compose myself halfway because it just <laughs> hit me. I was like, "Oh my god, what am I doing? I'm here with Dale and Flash, and I don't know what I'm doing, and I feel like I'm like a, a phony, and I don't. Know. What if they find out? And, and so, so that was very surreal, and and it took a while to kind of detach myself from that to be able to interview them without getting caught up in what I was doing yeah so it was it difficult to do that Lisa to, to remove yourself as you know the fan and, and put yourself in the shoes it, of the the documentary maker if you like yeah it became easier um until I had moments like the Brian May interview <laughs> it kind of took me back to being the fan um <laughs> I certainly had moments but it did it did get easier the more I got to know Sam and then I saw Melody more. So the more I kind of interacted, the more it broke down those walls of them being the characters and then, you know, talking to Sam's family and friends and it started to shape him as Sam, the brother and Sam, the father and the son. And as opposed to Flash Gordon, his his character is very similar to what you would expect it to be for someone to play Flash Gordon. You know, he, feels like a superhero in real life with just how he acts and how he protects people and how he puts other people first. And he's mm-hmm. very, like, he's very tall and very muscular and so strong still. And, you know, so he seems like, seems like a superhero. Um, so, so the more I started interviewing Sam and then of course Melody, then it just became a celebration of the film as well. You know, I started thinking all the, the important elements that make Flash Gordon so iconic. And so, you can't really do a film about Flash Gordon without celebrating the music and the graphics and the costumes. And and then it just developed into this, well, so much more than a, a biography, as you'll see. Yeah. It, so, it, so it just sort of developed as it went on, you know, it, it, it just sort of. Everything about this has really been organic. Um, yeah. And. But then it got to a point where I I committed to that and went, okay, if I am going to do this kind of making of, as well as look at Sam's story, I went on IMDb and started making a note of all the people that I really wanted to talk to. And there were a lot of people, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, doing a film, a documentary on a film that 
was shot at the time, 35 years ago, a lot of people weren't with us anymore. So I wanted to make yeah. sure that I um, allowed the people that were still around to have the chance to celebrate it if they wanted to as well. And also for me, it was important to, to have as many people feature as possible uh, to get as many different stories as I could because, you know, Chinese whispers and every everyone's memory is different and it is yeah. so um, you do sometimes get conflicting stories. So, uh, yeah, I, I kind of had this poster on my wall, the one that Alex Ross had done for the 35th reunion, um, that big one that actually Sam now has behind him at Comic-Cons. And I used to every night I'd sit there and go, still need you, still need you, still need you. <laughs> so it was really daunting and it did sometimes get a bit, I put a lot of pressure on myself because as a fan, I knew what I would want to see out of a film like this. Mm-hmm. So knew that if I released a film about Flash Gordon and didn't have Brian Blessed, then I almost just couldn't release it. So I had a list of people that I had to have that I knew I couldn't release without. Then I had my kind of second tier wish list of people that I would really love to talk to and then and then approached it that way. But it, it, to, yeah, to go back to the beginning, it, it was a very daunting experience. And there, it did come across my mind as, you know, be careful meeting your heroes. But Sam <laughs> was just kind of exceeded my expectations and beyond. I was so pleased that he lived up to the Flash Gordon character and, and made me love the film even more because of knowing him. Because he, he really opens up in yeah. life after Flash, doesn't he? Yeah, he really does. And the film wouldn't have worked if he hadn't because you can't really tell someone's redemption or appreciate someone's redemption without knowing where they came from and what they overcame. So we were very, very lucky. And it took a few interviews to get to that level, but we were very lucky that he opened up as much as he did and gave his access to his family and his really close friends who he just said, you know what, be honest, I don't care what you say. As long as it's the truth, you just say whatever you want. So yeah that really opened up a lot of doors to where that narrative went to. Something that struck me about Sam was that, you know, he was a really, really nice fella. Um, I've met him once before here in Scotland. He was at an event um, last year. Uh, It was for the Love of 80s event, and he was there. And I, I went and I walked in the room and I saw him and I just like, I, I froze <laughs> because it was Flash Gordon mm. in the flesh, in the room, right in front of us. And the queue was out the door. Every time, every time the queue. And also it keeps getting longer because like you'll see in the documentary, he genuinely loves to talk to people and he knows Trust. that people might have come <laughs> however far away to meet him. So he gives everyone time to chat and sign and, you know, so his cues feel like they never end because he's really giving everyone the time of day. And and as well, it, you know, it's not just people our age in the queue or older. It, it's children in the queue as well, really young children wanting to meet him yeah. and get his autograph. And, you know, that's the legacy of the movie. You know, you mentioned before the 35th anniversary. Next year is the 40th. Anniversary. <laughs> How long I've been doing this documentary. <laughs> um, so when did you start doing Life After Flash? When? So, so obviously back in what? So where are we now? So uh, 2015. Yeah, the first Skype call I had with Sam to pitch it to him was was it 2000? No, uh, it was October 2014 when I first pitched it to him. 
And then it was January 2015 that I first went to Texas to meet him and we started filming. And this is what I was saying at the beginning um, when we first started chatting with independent film. It is that case of you just have to start it. So I kind of did that, did that interview, started a crowdfunding campaign straight away. Big mistake. I'd never done crowdfunding before. I hadn't really researched it. I didn't build the audience. There were so many things I did wrong. So I ended up having to cancel that. Right. And have to explain to Sam why I cancelled it, repitch my new approach in the uh-huh. hope that he wanted to still be involved. Um, and then I said, look, I'll now reset it all, give myself six months to build the audience, make connections with the magazines and the podcasts and the blog yeah. Yeah. and try and build it that way. And then I redid it for a much smaller amount just to get me to the States for the first lot of shooting. And then, while that was happening, at least I could start approaching the people in the UK. So I was very, very lucky that it was filmed in the UK because a lot of like the first AD, the second AD, um, obviously Howard Blake and Brian May, I could, that took two years to get in, but eventually I got Brian May, you know, Peter Duncan. And there was a lot of interviews that I could do while I was trying to raise the money at the same time. Yeah. Uh, and and how receptive what were, were, the, were the, the, the cast and crew members that you spoke to about, um, you know about the documentary how how you know what, what did you get the feeling they were holding back or you know no no I was everyone who features is featuring because they genuinely want to support Sam because they love being in the film being associated with the film everyone was there giving their time um and no one was there because that if they didn't want to be there so yeah. Everyone who spoke about it spoke about it with such reverence and such memories and such fondness uh, that it really felt like it it felt the film was even more special because of it, because you could tell that these people still loved talking about it and still loved reminiscing about it. So so I, I, I bought it on Blu-ray. Yay. And <laughs> I bought it on Blu-ray and um I only watched it very recently. Um, I had it before I spoke to Sam, uh, but I didn't watch it till after. <gasps> I, I, I know I, I didn't want it. I didn't want it to influence <laughs> my oh, conversation I... with Sam in any way. Um, but when I did watch it, you know, I, I think you did an absolutely fantastic job. Um, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm like I said before, I, I, I'm so jealous and I really admire you for, uh, just, you know, like you said before, just go for it. Just do it. If you wait for the time to be right, it's not going to happen. If you wait for something else to be right, it's not going to happen. So let's just do it and let's see where we go. And let's see where <laughs> we're <that's, laughs> and, and it's it's for a Flash Gordon fan. It, it's a must watch. It's an absolute must watch. And even if you're not a Flash Gordon fan, you're still going to find it, you know, really interesting about a really interesting um, fella in, yeah. in Sam J. Jones and the rest of them as well. But essentially it's about Sam, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and, and he's such an interesting fella. So even if you're not a fan of Flash Gordon, it's it's a really interesting um, documentary to watch. What what was the what's what's the reception been like, Lisa, to to Life After Flash? It's been really good, um, which surprised me. <laughs> My main concern was will fans of the film like it? So obviously, with everything, not everyone is going to love a film, which is yeah. you know that that's what makes film interesting. That's, that's just the way it goes. 
Um, but the main thing to me is that fans of Flash Gordon have loved it. And I get, it's been really lovely that people take the time to actually email me and go, Hey, I found your email on the website. I just wanted to let you know that I saw it. You know, it meant a lot to me. Sam helped me growing up and, you know, watching Flash Gordon and everyone has their story of how Flash Gordon helped them in life, whether an adult or a child. So it's been really lovely to actually not only kind of hear, like read about it on social media and read the reviews online, but um, to have people take the time to email me and tell me how much they love it has meant a lot. I, I would have been devastated if the fans didn't like it. Um, you know, I think if you haven't seen Flash Gordon and you watch it, it's probably give or take, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but I, yeah, the main thing is the fans of the film love it, which is then I'm happy. Yeah, I mean, uh, my wife hadn't seen it. My wife hadn't seen Flash Gordon, and and oh. I put it on, and um, she was a bit, <laughs> what is this? <laughs> you put on Flash Gordon for her? Yeah, she'd never okay. seen it. She'd never seen it before. I don't I, know. A, a few of my friends as adults have watched Flash Gordon because I've done this documentary, and when I ask them what they think about it, they kind of go, mm. <laughs> I I can see if you, how you would love it as a child. So yeah. I don't know if it's a film that if you watch it as an adult for the first time, it would be the same. I think yeah. it, it's definitely the nostalgic connection with it that makes it so, so special to people. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I feel so lucky to have grown up at that time, you know, through the 80s with, with such wonderful films like, you know, Flash Gordon, uh, Star Wars, Back to the Future, Goonies. Um, I watched Stand By Me the other day. It was it was the oh. anniversary of the release of that. So, you know, it, it was such an amazing time for film, wasn't it? Oh, it was it was the best, the absolute best. And and I keep saying a lot to people I talk to. I, I feel so lucky to have grown up then. What yeah. and, and had and had those movies then because, like you say, and I agree with you. If you watch something like Flash Gordon now. As an adult, you're, you're going to be a bit, mm, yeah. take it or leave it. Same as uh, Goonies as well. Yeah, Things totally. like that. Watch something like, something like the Goonies as an adult. It's like, in fact, I know somebody that watched the, 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 the Goonies as an adult and they said, um, well, it's just a bunch of kids screaming all the time. <laughs> Shame on them. I know. Shame on them. Um, the same, a friend of mine watched Never Ending Story for the first time as an adult and they were like, meh. You know, like you just—it almost—I want. It's almost worth saying to people, you know what? If you haven't seen it by now, just don't watch it because we don't want that negative. No, don't. A film so fabulous. Don't be bringing that negative energy about yeah, uh, never-ending story, yeah. please. Okay. <laughs> um. Uh, so, so what's next for you then, Lisa? You've you've done life after Flash. It's took up a massive chunk of your life. Um, <laughs> I, are you are you sitting back and relaxing? No, never. And I'm so glad you asked because <laughs> I'm actually in production for the next Life After film. So Life After will be a series um, wow. of films. And the second one is Life After the Navigator. So another incredible film from our childhoods, Flight of the Navigator, which if you watched when you were little... Um, that has sometimes gone under people's radar, Flight of the Navigator, in comparison to all the other films like Labyrinth or Never Ending Story. But for me, it was one of the greatest films out of the 80s. And, uh, yes, so I'm in production of that. Hopefully that will be out 
end of this year, early next year. Um, and that the the biographical element of that will be Joey Kramer, who played David Freeman, the main little boy in it. So so was Joey Kramer meant to be on the jump and he injured himself? <laughs> no, he wasn't. I I actually tracked him down. I was thinking about films that I loved and what I could do for another life after. Because I've I've started filming for for two others, but they're quite big and complex. So they weren't ones that I could really action as quickly as I had wanted. So I was kind of thinking about what's another film that I could start with now. And I just Googled Flight of the Navigator and went to Joey's Wikipedia page. And if you go to Joey's Wikipedia page, you will see that it doesn't have the greatest outcome of no, he, his life on there. He's um, had he's had a he's had some life as Joey. He yes, he's lived. Um, and I tracked him down while he was in a correctional center, and we became pen pals while he was in the center. And when he got out, um, I flew over there with Ash, who is my partner and also my producer, who did Flash. Um, so the three of us just hang out for hung out for a week in uh, Vancouver Island and spent some time with him and started filming. And then from there, I interviewed Randall Kleiser, who directed the film, who also, right. I mean, Grease was his first film. So you can imagine how intimidating that is to meet someone like wow. that. Un- um, unbelievable. I know. So it makes it so depressing. It's like, well. um, and then so we interviewed him and then he came on board as an EP because he's so supportive of the documentary. And then end of June, I actually flew out to LA because Randall had helped organize a reunion of the cast there for me. So the mum, Veronica Cartwright was there, Cliff De Young, the dad, um, little Jeff, Albie Whitaker came along and the producers and some of the puppeteers. And it was just a really amazing day where we just grabbed a bunch of interviews with everyone. And Joey hadn't seen Randall in 20 odd years. And some of the cast hadn't seen Joey in 35 years. And it was a really special day. So we're still filming that. I need to do another trip out to the States for that. Um, but yeah, that hopefully will be early next year release. I saw the photos of the reunion online and I was honestly I was like wow this is I love stuff like that Lisa I love seeing things like that mm-hmm. um it, it must have it must have been thrilling it was so surreal just to kind of hop back on your last question about how is it to kind of meet these people that was when I had another one of those moments that I was standing in the middle of everyone just kind of chatting casually and I just thought this is so weird that the whole Freeman family <laughs> standing there and I don't know what's happening and I don't know how to process this. <laughs> so it was just, that was another moment of like, what am I doing? Can I do this? This is just too bizarre to, uh, I guess it's just me kind of trying to claw onto my childhood for as long as possible by trying to just live in these films absolutely nothing the matter with that um and and when i was looking at these photos of um the reunion um the guy who plays um older jeff yes um whose name has just escaped us matt adler yeah he was in another one of my favorite movies uh teen wolf ah he for me was one of the most excited that i was well, I was most excited to meet because I have only seen Tim Wolf a couple of times, but Dream a Little Dream. Dream a Little Dream, yeah. Favourite 80s film, well, favourite films. Um, and he's in that, so that 
I was like super excited to meet him because I was I think he's hugely talented. So life after the navigator is due out. When did you say? Sorry, end end of this so, year. Aiming for end of this year, early next year, depending on how quickly I can get back to the states. Because um, like Flash, I'm also editing this one, so right. it's how I can kind of fit it in as well into life. Um, but yeah, that would be ideal. I obviously don't want this one to take four years. <laughs> <I'd like No. laughs> and also with the re-release of Flight of the Navigator out tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yeah, so it's kind of good timing to to get it happening as quick as possible. Uh, well, the, the the timing couldn't be better. Yeah. Uh, I think because you know with that coming out tomorrow, it'll be all over social media and has been for a little while actually. Um, so your timing is bang on. I would say. Yeah, no um, one have to deliver this one too. <laughs> so you said before, Lisa, I'm dying to ask you this question after you said before that life after mm. is going to be a series. It is. What? What? Can I ask what else you've got in mind? What? Or what's you your wish list? I, you can, but I'm not going to say. Uh, I'll tell you off the record <laughs> all right okay I'll ask you when I've stopped recording <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of moving elements to all of these types of films you know getting people involved and I have started filming for two others um but with a lot of moving parts I don't like to jinx things so um yeah totally understandable. they will be super exciting though <laughs> when they so how how can people get their hands on life after flash Lisa where can they buy it from yeah so if anyone wants to get well lifeafterflash.com is the best place to go you can buy the dvd and the blu-ray there the dvd and the blu-ray have amazing artwork there's a booklet in the blu-ray like a little collector's booklet that the dvd doesn't have but both discs they have different special features so because there was so much footage that i didn't use i wanted to share as much as possible um so there's about if you only get one disc it's like 90 minutes individually on each disc but 20 minutes are the same so about 70 minutes of different special features across both so like there's at least a good over two hours across both discs um of like long form edits first draft edits that i had done little anecdotes from people there's a little edit of topple's um charity in israel that i did so lifeafterflash.com and then also that has links to the streaming so in the uk it's about to come out on amazon um, it's currently out on Vimeo as well, and um, all the links are there. Excellent. Because uh, I didn't realise until I saw your video the other day that there was different extras on the DVD version, so I'm going to have to go and buy that as well. There you go. And I didn't, um, I, you know, some I do get emails sometimes from people who aren't happy with that. They think it's kind of a cheap. Well, but, it's just it's just the way it goes these days, isn't it? You know. So I wanted to genuinely get as much footage as I could out there as possible because for me it's heartbreaking for it to just sit on a hard drive I bet. Um, and I thought you know what it's not like it's just a couple of little anecdotes and a little featurette there genuinely is on each one 90 minutes of special features um, and only a couple of videos of similar across both like the trailer and a couple of film festival things so um, there's a there's a lot that I feel like it it makes it worthwhile for someone um, if they do want to see everything, so. Brilliant. Lisa, thank you so much for chatting to us. I've, I've really enjoyed that conversation, and I'm mega jealous of you. <laughs> Flash Gordon, then um, Flight of the Navigator, which is another one of my favourite movies from back then. 
Um, but thank you so much for chatting to us. Sorry, I really appreciate you. it. Lisa Downs there, who I only just spoke to her last night and I found her incredibly interesting. She's doing some fantastic stuff, you know, a life after Flash. If you haven't seen it, please watch it. It's a must see for Flash Gordon fans. It's absolutely fantastic. So interesting, you know, about the cast and the crew and what went on when they were filming it and what people have been doing afterwards. It's it's absolutely fantastic. Obviously, it's mostly about Sam J. Jones, but it, it's just great. It's absolutely great. And now, of course, as mentioned with the life after the Navigator and as well, she dropped me a couple of hints about the other things she's working on. And all I can say is watch that space. Okay. Coming up after this, Melody Anderson. Napa know-how. Right now, a five-quart jug of Napa full synthetic motor oil and a platinum filter is just $23.98. That's a great deal for a great oil, which is another reason why this is the most wonderful time of the year. That's Napa full synthetic oil and a platinum filter for $23.98. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. General states pricing. Sales prices do not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. While supplies last. Offer ends 12 15, 19. Okay, so let's hear from Melody Anderson. And it was actually Lisa Downs who set up this conversation for me. So I'm very, very thankful to Lisa for sorting that out. Here she is, Melody Anderson. I'm really, really excited to be saying welcome to the Geeky Retro Nerd Show, Melody Anderson. Melody, how are you? Yes, I'm great. Thanks for inviting me, Adam, to the show. Thank you so much, Melody. I'm I'm so glad you've you're able to come on the show and talk to me because I'm I'm doing this episode on Flash Gordon, and I've already I've already spoken to Sam, and I was I was desperate to get you on the show as well. And luckily, Lisa from Life After Flash documentary, which is brilliant by the way, um, was able to um, hook us up and get this conversation. Um, so I'm I'm really excited. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me. Great, great. So what would you like to know? What do you think your audience wants to hear about? So what I want to know, I'm not that bothered about my audience. (laughs) (laughs) There you go, folks. (laughs) So what I want to know is, so so when I was a kid growing up, um, Flash Gordon was a a huge, huge movie Mm -hmm. in, in, in my household. I'm the exact same age as a movie. I'm 40 next year. Well, um, as I said, you must have you must have started watching it in the delivery room. <laughs> I, w- I wish I had, uh, but I was really young when I seen it, and and it, and it obviously struck a chord with me, and uh, you know I've loved it ever since. And I re- I, I recalled a story to Sam where um, uh, uh, my sisters and I were taken on holiday with my parents somewhere in England, and we were away for two weeks. And when I came back. Um, I remember running out of the car and sprinting in the house and putting Flash Gordon on because I hadn't seen it for two weeks. Um, oh, my goodness. <laughs> that's how much I love the movie. But before we get on to Flash, I'm, I'm really interested in your life before Flash, mm-hmm. if you like, um, because you went to school in Ottawa, Ontario, and you are a reporter. Yes, I worked for the CBC uh, uh, radio, and I would get $7 a story and go out and come up with some crazy idea, like nudist colonies or, you know, puppy puppy mills or whatever was in my mind that day, and I would do a, a radio story about it and edit it and uh, go on the air with it. And I did that for the last two years of college to help put me through school. Brilliant. So, and was that was that something you really wanted to do? The, the oh, journalism? I loved it. 
Yeah, I loved it. You know, to me, being a journalist was being able to tell the truth to people or at least find out the truth so you could give it to people and hopefully your story would change lives. I think that was something ironically turns a full circle because in my life now, I am a psychotherapist. I'm a psycho too, but <laughs> like me, <laughs> but I'm a psychotherapist and um, still out there, even, even with my art still out there trying to do things that can affect people and make them feel better about themselves or the world. Yeah. So your, so your, your first job reporting was at the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. Then I read that um, you traveled to Southeast Asia and Australia. Right. I worked in, um, actually, I worked in New Zealand for a while. This is right when the Vietnam War was ending. And um, I guess 75, 76. And um, I worked in New Zealand as a travel writer. And also in Australia, I worked or not, in uh, in uh, Sydney, I worked for a local radio station interviewing people and celebrities when they came in through um, through the airport. All right. And did you like living over there? Oh, I loved it. It was really nice. And, you know, Canadians are kind of a little more British than American. And yeah. um, just the temperament was great. I really love New Zealand a lot as well. It's somewhere I've never been, but I would love to go. Out there. Oh, I think if I had a choice between the two, I'd pick New Zealand over uh, Australia. So think about that. Yeah, well, you know, obviously New Zealand's in the um, Lord of the Rings Yes. Um, trilogy. Yeah. It's Middle Earth and it looks incredible. Some of the scenery. I'd love to go yeah. there. Yeah, absolutely. All that's in the, in the um, they have some replicas of that at the airport in, in Auckland. So yeah, it's pretty fun. Great. Um, and then I, I didn't realize as well. So, so your acting career started in the, in the late seventies. How, how did you make, how did you end up going from being a reporter and working in journalism to acting? Well, you know, I think that life is just full of surprises. And long as you're open to it and you decide something's not working for you, somehow when you're supposed to do the right thing, it gets brought to you. And um, I had been working, you know, as I say, as a journalist and um, throughout school. And then when I took the year off and uh, while I was in Hong Kong on this big South Pacific, Southeast Asia tour, my, it ended in Hong Kong. And I heard on the radio in this really dumpy little place called the Chunking Mansions. I think it's on Kowloon. And um, there was a, a, a radio. Uh, I was listening to the BBC and on was um, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? And I was mm -hmm. so moved by the performances and the story that I thought, that's how I'm going to change people. I'm going to become an actor. So I got all my stuff, got my stuff from Canada, moved to L.A. and became, um, started taking classes, of course, and started, you know, getting my Screen Actors Guild card th through doing commercials and modeling. And then I uh, got my first, first um, big thing in 19, I think it was 1970, 77, 78, something like that. I did a lot. I did several TV movies and parts before I got Flash Gordon in 79. Yeah, so things like Logan's Run. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, um, yeah. And, and you were in some of my favourite TV shows as well, um, Battlestar Galactica. Yes, that was a lot of fun, absolutely. The I original. 
Yeah, the original and the best. Right, exactly. Exactly. Thank you. Very smooth. Yeah, I I love Battlestar Galactica. That was one of my favourites growing up. Uh, I love TJ Hooker as -hmm. well. Um, You were also in Chips. I don't think that was that big over here in the UK. Yeah, and it was just as a guest star. It wasn't an ongoing role. But the one that got a lot of attention in, in Europe and most of the world was a series called Manimal. Oh, Manimal. Yeah, (laughs) and we only did six of those, unfortunately, but I had so much fun because every single show I got to work with the animals, panthers and snakes and monkeys and elephants. And (laughs) oh, it was I was so sad when it ended because I was just having a ball every week. I bet I can imagine it being absolutely fantastic to film Animal. It was a great show. I loved it. Um but you were in the A-team and the Fall Guy as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I did sort of those, sort of the the guest stars of the main shows during that time. So it, that was kind of a, wonderful. And then I got a, a movie for television, and um, that's the two-hour movies that they do. And then came an audition for Flash Gordon, and I didn't initially get it. Uh, so who, I found so, it. Pardon? So, I was going to say, so who did originally get it? Well, it was a girl I knew from New York who was a lovely model and a lovely person called Dale Haddon. And I don't know what happened, but Dino De Laurentiis, we know, is very mercurial. Mm-hmm. God bless his soul, <laughs> wherever he is right now. And um, um, they decided to change their mind and bring me in. So I was sort of staying in New York with some friends for a short time because I was living in Los Angeles. I get a call from... Dino De Laurentiis saying, Melo, do you have to come right now to London? I'm going, oh, wait a minute. I still hadn't done my taxes yet, right? (laughs) So I end up uh, going over to London that afternoon with hardly anything with me because I'd only come to New York for about a week. And with the understanding I get to come home for Christmas and get my winter clothing. Well, you know London. London (laughs) is not warm come October, right? No, it is not warm (laughs) at all. (laughs) So um, they put me in the outfit, they dyed my hair, they shaved the front of it. And when I asked why, they said they wanted it look, to look like a wig. I said, why don't you just use a wig? Okay, so that was the, that was my, and I was working the next day. So that's how crazy it was on, on the set. And everything was pretty random throughout the whole shooting. Scenes so would change and all that sort of thing. So it sounds pretty whirlwind. Mm, absolutely right. From the uh, from the auditioning process straight into the movie, and and, mm-hmm. and I think Sam said something similar. Um, and and your first shot, I think, for Flash Gordon was over here in Scotland. Yes, it was. It was up on the Isle of Skye, which was yeah. so beautiful. And you know, we just didn't have much time to see it, but the scenery and the seascape and everything. Oh my God! And it's, I live in Los Angeles now. So let me tell you that that clean air was beautiful. <laughs> it was a real <laughs> gift. <laughs> it's a stunning country. It really is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, so, so you're in Flash Gordon. Were, were you aware of the, um, uh, the, the Buster Crab series? Yes, I'd actually Flash seen Gordon. it a couple of times um, just on my own in America. And then uh, when I got to London, I didn't see any more of the series, but Dino had this huge, big comic book that it originally had come from. So I think, in fact, the um, 
the sets and the designs, especially, you know, because with Ming and all the Art Deco and the Chinese theme was really strong in the comics. I don't think mm -hmm. it was as strong as in Buster Crab. And the visuals were, and the colors were right out of the comics as well. So, you know, obviously the first Buster Crab was in black and white. And I think what um, the set designer is a brilliant man who's passed called, um, um, just crossed through my mind, um, Donati. Uh, Danilo Donati, he used right. to work for Fellini, and that's why you get so many wonderful costumes and sets. He had that beautiful imagination. And in fact, we, we ended up calling a, a character on the show uh, Fellini, who was the pet of um, uh, Princess uh, uh, Princess Aura. Oh, yeah. Yeah, brilliant. And, and, and you know, I, I, I think, you know, you get some co you get comic book movies and you get comic book movies. Mm -hmm. uh, Flash Gordon was a proper comic book movie with those straight and visuals. You know, it was it was all very flamboyant and and mm -hmm. grand and colourful and you know in, in places quite over the top. Um, very over the top, very comic book, and and it was very sad because um, the set designers were a lot of them were t uh, Italian, as were yeah. the costume people. And they didn't even get nominated. And that, I mean, you can't beat. In fact, if you watch the movie Dune, you'll see a lot of the same sets used in that with Sting. Yeah. And um, um, it was wonderful. And, and of course, the, the direction of Mike Hodges, I have to say, you know, shout, uh, shout out to him because he got that it was supposed to be campy and wonderful. Yeah. And he, he and comic booking and he and Dino had a lot of clashes about that. But somehow Mike, and also the screenwriter, who did a beautiful job, really created this this very clever, smart and witty script that uh, most of us played straight so it would be even funnier. Oh, it was so funny. So, so funny. Um, and, and, and Dale was a great character, wasn't she? What, <laughs> what, what attracted you about this, this character of Dale to... to to influence you to go for the audition in the first place, Melody? Well, you know, when you're starting off acting, you go to an opening of an envelope if it's, a, if it's an audition. <laughs> so it's sort of, you know, well, sure, that sounds good. Um, and originally when I had seen the Buster Crab series, she was kind of milk toasty. So I saw there were some scenes that, you know, really I could, I could make her into a very sort of, you know, 80s liberated, girl who could handle herself as well as flash could handle himself yeah. and uh, that that was the fun turn and twist that i i was lucky enough to bring to it and it and it, and it was fun because she dale wasn't a damsel in distress no she? She no was. not at all she 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 fought off for the best of them and in fact when you um when you see um uh that scene that football scene at the beginning of the movie where Sam's work, you know, using a football against the, um, yeah. against the guards, Ming's yeah. guards. Yeah. Well, that, that was Sam's idea. Originally they just had everybody standing around with those sort of eggy looking things. There was supposed to be a fight. And then Sam said, well, if I'm supposed to be a football player, let's make it into a football scene. <laughs> and I thought, well, if I'm supposed to be the all American girl, then I should be a cheerleader. And that's where, in fact, I created the line go flash go, which I, which they were, you know, Mike Hodges was fantastic. He allowed us to, to do a lot of our own input, and I was allowed to use that throughout the film. And, and you had some great lines in the film. I think, I think you had you had most of the best ones, and you probably had the most iconic one um, in the movie. 
and I'm hoping you're going to see it. Flash, we only have 14 hours to save the Earth. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the one. I think it was 14. But I have to tell you, my favorite line in the movie was when Ornella and I are on a, a, the big pillow fight. Oh, yeah. And, and she says to me, <laughs> she's great. She says to me, oh, water is coming from your eyes. And I say, they're tears. They're one of the things that make us better than you. And, <laughs> you know, like I could never have come up with that line. It was just to be so <laughs> silly. And what a great, that was my favorite line of the movie, actually. <laughs> so the, and that the, was in the script. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the movie, um, I think it's fair to say, was, was a, a moderate success at the time. Yes, and um, also it was a much bigger success in Europe and Asia than it was yeah. in America because yeah. of whatever issues were going on. Universal did not promote it as much as they should have. And, um, you know, there were all sorts of stories and the changing of Sam's voice and all this kind of stuff. So the irony is, you know, I have to laugh at all those kind of, you know, those snotty characters in the business and the critics because um, the fact that we've lasted this long. And sometimes when I go to signings, we do, Sam and I do a lot of signings together. Yeah. yeah. Uh, people will come up to me, mothers and, uh, and daughters and sons and fathers and say how you know they used to watch the film with their parents before they died and their parents introduced it to them and they'd have a real family connection with their parent because of it and you know you have no idea when you do it do a, a a job a what's going to happen to it but b that it's going to affect people so in fact the very reason i went into acting had happened yeah it's so were you surprised at the sort of indifference in of opinion across the across the um, globe, if you like, about, you know, about the reaction to the movie. Well, I got to say, Pauline Kael, who's one of the great critics of all times, she, um, she gave me a lot of compliments and she got it. So as far as I'm concerned, she's the only one I was concerned about anyway. And it was a silly movie. It was supposed to be silly and campy and people didn't get that. I think it was ahead of its time as far as being a goof, you know, like the original Batman and things. Yeah. Um, and they just, they didn't get it. it was a goof. And then all this beautiful visual splendor that was on the screen, which was really quite remarkable. Yeah, well, well we, we lapped it up over here. <laughs> so I know you did. And I have great fans over in England and Scotland and Ireland. And I've done some signings in with Sam in, in London and Manchester, but we haven't done gone up to Scotland yet. So maybe you can make that happen. We'd love well, to go to Glasgow. I would I would love to have you here in Scotland. And something that Sam mentioned to us actually while while you're while you're talking about signings is that there's a, a reunion next year. Yes, fifty the, years. Fifty years. Who knew? For the for the forty the fortieth uh, anniversary. Is it the fortieth or the fiftieth? It's, it's the fortieth. It's the I hope it's the fortieth, otherwise I'm ten years older 80, than what I am. Ninety well, you know, I was never good in math. But anyway, <laughs> I've been telling everybody the 50th. Sorry, they all say, you look so young. Like, yeah, I guess I'm 10 years younger than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Sam was saying you're all um, surviving cast, getting back together um, and, and going on the road yeah, and visiting trying, various places. To, yeah, he's trying to get that together, which is pretty, pretty neat. He's doing a great job of it. And I think it's a great thing for the fans too. you know, get as many people as we can. We know Brian Blossom will be there with us. Sadly, Peters died, which yeah. was kind of sad, but we did get to do a signing and a 
premiere a couple of years ago in London and Peter was there and of course Brian was there and um so we'll see what can come up because I think it's it's a it's I mean imagine it, to me it's like the Wizard of Oz of our generation. Yeah, and people watch, so. people watch it over and over again. It's visually absolutely awesome, and families watch it together. And the way it was written, you know, there's stuff that works for the kids, and there's some a lot of double entendres that work for the um, the adults <laughs> when they're watching. Well, my my son's two. Oh. I've got I've got two kids. My daughter's sixteen. My son's two, um, and 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 Flash Gordon was on the TV a couple of weekends ago. And oh, I, kidding! I, I put it on for him, and he he loved the Hawk Men. <laughs> he was pointing at the telly saying, "Wee!" Absolutely. Um, yeah. So there's there's definitely something for all ages. But the the movie now has such a, a cult yep. status, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, um, it really does. And who knew, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and the fans have kept it alive. They have. I mean, I'm so grateful for them and that they show up at the signings and tell us their story with Flash Gordon. I mean, you know, that's that's to me the thrilling thing about being there and meeting the fans is they let me know how the movie affected their life and what it meant to them. And, and that's that's to me the legacy. Yeah. And I mean, at, at the time. When you were making this fantastic movie, I suppose it would have been hard to imagine that in 40 years' time, we'd we'd still be talking about it and we'd still love it. Absolutely not. And when Tim Dalton and I saw the first screening without the movie, it was kind of a rough cut. Yeah. We ran out of there. We were so depressed because there was none of that wonderful Queen music, which really makes up half of it. Yeah, definitely. Oh, please, yeah. And, and, um, there, there there, were still some rough things needed to be worked out, but we thought, oh, my God, this is not going to be good. And here <laughs> it shows you how, how right he and I work, because here we are 40 years later, and there's this mega, there's still this ongoing love of this movie. So you mentioned the, you mentioned the soundtrack melody. I think it's mm-hmm. fair to say that Flash Gordon would not be the movie it is without that fantastic soundtrack. Well, I think, you know, the nice thing about a movie is it's a collaboration. And I yeah. think everybody's part in it works. I think their music was absolutely, Brian May is absolutely brilliant. Um, but I think, you know, we, again, we go back to those visuals. That, nothing like that had ever been made before. No. And um, and the one, Max Foncito is mean. I mean, that was just marvelous. I mean, as I say, the performers were just spectacular. So, um, so I, I certainly think it gave it a big impetus and that's all Mike Hodges, you know, he's the one who had the vision and, um, I, I think it was a good major percentage of the success of the film, of the film. Oh yeah. And, and, and the soundtracks remembered, um, you know, just as fondly as the film, I, I listen to it all the time in the car. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'll walk down the street and I'll hear people going flash. Ah. <laughs> happens all the time when sam and i are at the cons people just sing that one line as they walk by our table (laughs) i wonder how many times you've heard that (laughs) um so so what are you doing now melody um you're you're doing social work now aren't you in um yeah i I specialized in families traumas and addictions and i had worked in new york uh, which is where i got my my degree from 
with a place called Hazelden. It's kind of well known around the world for as a treatment center and then moved out here about 10 years ago and um, uh, started working out here. And I just have added to my training and working with people with trauma because people, so many people with addictions have also been traumatized. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, it's awfully, I have a private practice and then work at a couple of uh, treatment centers. So it's pretty rewarding work, I must say. And I, w- I was reading about it earlier on your website, Melody. It does sound um, very um, rewarding. Uh, it's a fantastic um, thing to be involved in. Yeah, and I've been lucky enough to also teach at some universities right. and lecture doctors who want to go into addiction med- medicine and all this. And so it's, ha- it's had, a, and I've you know done a c- couple of documentaries about addiction and uh, actually one with, with Robert Zemeckis and, um, All right. yeah, he did what he did one on, uh, what was it? Um, pursuit of happiness, I think something like that. Right. And, uh, I mean, you know, everything he touches is gold too. Yeah. And, um, um, it was, it was quite successful. So I, I've stayed in the media and been a spokesperson on addiction and trauma and families for quite a long time. Fantastic. I mean, like I said before, it's, and, and, and you agree, that it sounds really, really uh, rewarding helping people out, helping families out, um, dealing with addiction. Yeah, and it's also, it's also a great career because, <laughs> you know, when you're an actress, you sort of, you know, quickly, especially if you're um, um, a leading actress, you know, your, your time is kind of limited by your youth and your looks, whereas... Right. As a therapist, the grayer and fatter and more wrinkled I become, everybody just thinks I'm smarter. So it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, something that's featured on the Life After Flash documentary mm-hmm. as well is um, mm-hmm. you're you're, a, you're an artist. You do yes. paintings. Yes, I love my paintings. It's sort of I learned that actually when I was acting, and there'd be these long periods between jobs. And you know, when you're an artist, you want to express yourself no matter how. And so I took up painting and um, it has given me a lot of pleasure in my life. And I've sold a few here and there throughout the years. So, Oh, good. And do you do exhibitions or things like that? No, I sort of sold to private clients. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Um, Because I I saw on the documentary and I saw some of your work on the documentary. It was really Mm -hmm. good. Really, Mm -hmm. really good. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I, I, you know, even if all you can do is stick figures, people, people should be doing some kind of art uh, because it really helps you get your mind off your problems because you're so super hyper focused on what it is you're doing, whether it's sculpture or writing or painting or songwriting, uh, playing an instrument. Art is an essential piece for our souls. I really believe that. Yeah. And, and that's why I started doing this podcast, actually, Melody. <laughs> Um, is, a, is a bit of a creative outlet and um, a, a fantastic bonus is to be able to speak to people like yourself who, <laughs> you know, the, the show, the, 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 my podcast is about nostalgia and, you know, yeah. the things I enjoyed growing up, TV, movies, and um, you know, whatever. And a huge, huge part of my childhood was um, yourself and Flash Gordon. So oh, thank you. Thank you very much for the memories. Well, thank um, you for being such an avid fan. It's been a delight talking to you. And if there's anything more you need to know, please let me know. 
I will. And, and I'm so appreciative of your time. Thank you so much, Melody. Absolutely. And you take care and best to all of your listeners. How far out does your podcast go? Uh, all over the world. Bloody I've, 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 da. Good for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, check me out. Um, <laughs> uh, mostly UK. I get, I've, I've got a lot. I think 40 to 50% is over in the US. So, um, yeah, I'm, I've got good numbers at the at the minute. I'm I'm really oh, proud, but that but that's only possible because of pe- people who are kind enough to give up their time, like yourself. Well, also think about YouTube. Get your face out there. Well, <laughs> that's why I do podcasts because I've got I've got a face for radio. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, let me tell you, there's some there's some very interesting faces who do podcasts and do do nightly shows. So don't let that get you know just. I say brush your teeth and comb your hair and you can do it. Melody Anderson there. Wasn't she wonderful? I I love her. I absolutely love her. And I I had to get up in the middle of the night to do that. Um, Obviously, she's in the USA. So if I sound a little bit tired, that's why. But I had to keep pinching myself because I couldn't quite believe I was talking to Melody Anderson. And again, that wouldn't have been possible without Lisa from Life After Flash. Uh, So, Lisa, I know you're listening. Once again, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. Now, I can't have a Flash Gordon episode without Flash Gordon himself, can I? Sam J. Jones will be coming up in 30 seconds' time. Napa know-how. Right now, a five-quart jug of Napa full synthetic motor oil and a platinum filter is just $23.98. That's a great deal for a great oil, which is another reason why this is the most wonderful time of the year. That's Napa full synthetic oil and a platinum filter for $23.98. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. General states pricing. Sales prices do not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. While supplies last. Offer ends 12-15-19. So... I was very, very lucky to get Sam J. Jones to to speak to me. Uh, incredibly lucky. I, w- I was very persistent, shall we say, <laughs> in trying to get him to speak to me, and he agreed. And and oh, I was so excited over the moon. I, I can't explain how excited I was. However, he would only do it over the phone, so the the audio quality isn't amazing but it's definitely listenable. He would only do it over his mobile phone. Um, So here we go. Sam J. Jones, Flash Gordon. Okay, so I am so, so excited to be welcoming to the show a huge, huge icon in popular culture, a hero of mine growing up. I didn't know anybody that did not want to be Flash Gordon. Sam J. Jones, welcome to the Geeky Retro Nerd Show. How are you? Oh, fantastic, Adam. Thank you for having me. Not, not a problem, Sam. I'm, I'm absolutely delighted that you agreed to speak to us. Like I said there, um, when I was a kid, Flash Gordon's actually exactly the same age as me. I'm 39 this year. I'm 40 next year. And when I was growing up, I did not know a kid that did not want to be um, Flash Gordon. That's right. Yeah, it's wonderful. <laughs> so yeah, I'm I'm starting to, I'm starting to hear these stories now. You know, Adam, I I do quite a few of the comic book conventions. Yeah. All over the world. Yeah. And uh, 
And when you have the fans come up to my table and it used to be, you know, my age or younger or whatever. And now it's, it's the, it's the, it's the triple blessing. It's, it's the whole, it's the triple generation. It's, it's the grandfather, the son and the grandson. It's grandma, daughter and granddaughter. And they tell me the, what you just mentioned, how growing up, how, uh, you know, the movie, what I did in the movie and all the other characters, how it inspired and influenced them growing up. It's wonderful. Really is. Well, well, it certainly inspired me growing up, Sam. I'd like to share a, a, a little story with you. Um, when I was a kid, my mum and dad took us on holiday and we went to a caravan somewhere in England. I, I can't remember where. But when we come back, I can remember that the first thing I did was I ran out of the car, ran straight into the house and put Flash Gordon on because I hadn't seen it for two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And, and a question I ask a lot on this show, Sam, uh, because of the nature of the podcast and the guests I have on, is, you know, Flash Gordon is, is 40 years old. The movie is 40 years old next year. Can you believe that it's it's been that long? Does it feel like 40 years, Sam? Oh, Adam, that's, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I think my body feels that way but my mind isn't there yet you know I, I just uh I mean I, I look first of all I, I love this time of my life I love I love this age of maturity mm -hmm. um you know of course I, I still for me life is wonderful and it's still a learning process I got a great wife I have five children uh five five grandchildren so uh yeah I can't do the things that I did before athletically i still train every day i still you know i still do all of that um yeah. but some of the other things I, I and i think about this all the time i mean here we are for next year i mean i'll be in manchester it's gonna be wonderful but next year we're, we're planning the entire 40th anniversary flash gordon reunion world tour wow and uh you know i'm, I'm 65 max fun i was 90 uh, Topol is in his 80s. Brian Blessed is in his 80s. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, Melody is my age. Or Nella uh, also is somewhere there. In this. So uh, I'm just looking forward to seeing everybody and visiting the fans. And uh, it is amazing. Oh, yes, 40. And, and, and again, that, that's a triple blessing when someone says 40 years ago. Because for me in the business, the, the, the first blessing is actually getting hired and doing a project. The second blessing is, is if that project does well. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the third blessing is what we're talking about now, yeah. longevity. Yeah. So uh, longevity. And, and, and it's one of It's all because the fans, it, you know, it, it's the fans worldwide who we were able to reach, uh, it, you know, through this movie. And that's the good thing about when they come out to – to the Comic Con in Manchester, no matter where we are, it's an opportunity not just to meet us and get pictures and autographs, but it's a great opportunity for the fans to tell us their story. Yeah. Their story. Wonderful. It, it is wonderful. And I'll, I'll come to the Comic Cons in a second, Sam. But but take, take us back to um, late 70s, 19... 78, 79, I suppose. How, how did you get involved? How did you 
get to be Flash Gordon? Because you were in the movie 10, weren't you? It, was it off the back yeah, of that? Was, yeah, it was the first film uh, I did, 10. Blake Edwards, you know, did all the Pink Panther movies. Yeah. Uh, uh, Julie Andrews, uh, Julie Andrews, Dudley Moore, uh, Robert Weber, a huge cast, Brian Dennehy, uh, D. Wallace from E.T. Yeah. And, of course, you know, uh, Bo Derrick. But, yeah, I was, um, it started there. I mean, as far the, the whole audition process, the interview process, the casting process for Flash Gordon, oh, my gosh, I was involved with that it, uh, for probably eight, nine months. And, and, is, and, it, is, it, and is it true, Sam, and that so, is it true, Sam, that Kurt Russell and um, Arnold Schwarzenegger were considered for the role? Well, I, I was, yeah, yes, at the time, you see, Dino Del Laurentiis, the uh, producer, he was very non-disclosure, very uh, uh, high level of confidentiality. Mm -hmm. So uh, nobody knew right. who was involved. Right. Meaning we, I would go in one door for a meeting and I'd leave through another door and you would never know. You know, of course, people were, t were told to park at a different parking location. Right. So I never knew until years later, years later, that, uh, you know, certain actors were up from park. But, uh, no, yeah, it was, um, so anyway, uh, I think the first many months, probably six, seven, seven, eight months, back and forth interviews in uh, L.A., Beverly Hills. And then I was flown to London in uh, early 1979 uh, to, you know, to, for an old-fashioned screen test. We didn't have video back then. No. So if, if you wanted to put somebody on tape, it was film. Mm -hmm. So that means you had a, if you, if you could just get a visual of that and think about the cost. Yeah. Uh, so for film, for film, you had to have a, a film crew. Okay. For an audition, <laughs> you had to have a, you had, had to have a director, a, a director of photography, makeup, air, wardrobe department. Uh, I mean, you had to have the whole bit. And uh, so for 30 days, I screen tested with different leading ladies and other actors. And finally, at the end of 30 days, that's when Dino said, okay, uh, you're the new Flash Ford. Now, I, I also uh, must tell you that um, the, the other thing I had in my favor is Dino De Laurentiis was known to cast from likeness and similarity. Right. Similarity. What I mean by that, if you take a picture of the original Flash Gordon, Buster Kraft, yeah. who did the white, black and white serials. Mm -hmm. If you take a picture of him at the age of 24 years old, and you put it next to me at the age of 24 years old, you will say to yourself, are you kidding? <laughs> these, two, these two are brothers. <laughs> and that, so, so I have that going too, you know. And, and I think... Yeah, and there is a huge similarity there. In the movie as well, I think Sam was was very respectful to the Buster Crab um, series. Uh, did did you ever meet Buster? Oh yes, no. Uh, Buster was incredible. A lot of he he joined us on uh, the small little uh, public relations and promotional tour in the states. Oh wow! He went with me on a couple yeah a couple of talk shows. A lot of people don't know that Buster Crab. Not only was he Flash Gordon, he was Buck Rogers. That's right. Yeah. He was Tarzan. 
Yeah. yeah. So last one, Buck Rogers, Tarzan, and Captain Gallant. Plus, he was an Olympic swimmer. What a guy. Yeah. What a guy. So 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 speaking to Buster and, and hanging around with Buster, um I suppose that would have been good preparation for the role. Yeah, he was wonderful. He was very giving um, and just very gracious, just a very gracious man. And, and when you were making the film, Sam, so something that I actually watched Flash Gordon again for the millionth time on Saturday. It was on a, a channel over here in the UK. And I watched it again the other day. And, you know, it, something that really stands out in that movie is the the set design, um, the, the, the wardrobe, the costumes... Uh, the, the the big stages when you were making the film how what what we what was the what was the cast's opinion of of what you were making here with these wonderful sets and and quite wonderful and at times uh, outrageous costumes oh i mean it, it it had that look everybody knew you know first of all adino delamente's movie number 1 number 2 he brought in uh Dianello Dinate uh, as, as the production designer, which means, you know, Dianello did all the, a lot of these Fellini movies. Mm -hmm. So everybody knew uh, aesthetically and visually it's going to be very rich and uh, very colorful and beautiful looking. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and back then, Adam, you know, the costumes were all hand beating, you know, the sequence. Well, you know, they don't, it's too. It's not very cost-effective to do that nowadays. I mean, Max von Sydow's costume had 35,000 bead sequins in them. Wow. And, yeah, hand-stitched, you know, by the, the beautiful uh, department, the costume department. I mean, they, they must have really had their work cut out then in that wardrobe department. Yeah, of course. But but the but the, the the all that work and effort really pays off, doesn't it? In the film, the 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 costumes yes, are superb, absolutely superb. Um, and and something else I was going to ask as well, Sam. When when you were making the film, did you know that Queen were going to be doing the soundtrack? Was that something that was known when you were doing it, when you were filming it? Um. Well, no, not at the time. In the early stages, no. Um, matter of fact, you know, because, it, it, by the way, just on a side, which is very important, a little side note, uh, there's a documentary out right now called Life After Flash that yeah. they did on my life. Yeah. And they interviewed, and they interviewed Brian May. So Brian gives some great insight into uh, doing the music for Flash Gordon and great insight about uh, Freddie Mercury. And, of course, he's the first to say that it was the first uh, rock opera for a big-budget movie. You know, a lot of people say that The Who, uh, With Tommy. you know, were the first. They, they may have been for maybe a smaller film, but for the, the first major motion picture in Hollywood, uh, Queen is known as, as really doing the first uh, rock opera soundtrack for a major motion picture. Anyway, Brian talked about that a lot in our new documentary that's out right now called Life After Flash. And, 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 uh, it, 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 and another side note about that, you see, Dino being a bit old-fashioned, 
um, he didn't really, he was a bit, he, he questioned the fact, oh, I don't know about Queen, you know, um, until he hurt, until, well, it wasn't, it, 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 he heard, he heard this, the finished soundtrack, but he didn't really accept it until the audience, right. you know, until the reaction from the fans. Right. And then that's when he, that's when he knew that it, you know, that it really, it just didn't, Queen not only complimented the movie, Queen brought incredible value. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I don't, yeah. in all honesty, I don't think it would be the film it is without that soundtrack. And when, and when people talk yeah. about, you know, the best soundtracks to movies, that soundtrack is always mentioned, Sam, isn't it? Of course it is. Yes, it is. And, and it's, it's, it's incredible soundtrack. Yeah, even, yeah, Adam, even the younger, it, it's, a, it's a cool little, um, note here too or 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 revelation even the younger generation who have not seen flash gordon they'll they'll refer to that when they're trying to think of the name they'll say you know you know that movie that that movie that queen did the soundtrack to yeah that's how they usually that's how they usually refer to it <laughs> brilliant soundtrack um I, I had it on earlier i've had i've had my son today and i had it on earlier for my son and me and him were dancing around to it um uh, and, and the the movie as well. I wanted to ask you about this, Sam. Um, was it originally meant to be a trilogy? Because it's left open oh, at the no, end. It's, think, it's left open at the end, I isn't think, it? I believe it was meant to be uh, six pictures. Six. six. Whoa. Yeah, trilogy times two. I mean, when I signed the contract, I, I signed up. I believe for six for six pictures, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. And that's, that's just the nature of the business, you know. It's it, it's just it's it, it's it's a wild. You know, we, we think about it often. You know, I, I watch movies a lot, and and it's just sometimes there's no rhyme or reason why we didn't do more. Maybe it was a big hit in that country, but maybe it didn't do well in this country. Yeah. So um, and then of course you got the studios. Well, when you have so much leadership involved. So many different opinions, studios, networks, et cetera, et cetera, producers. There's a lot of people bumping heads. Yeah. So, I mean, it is what it is. That's why we count our blessings in this movie business. You know, just getting hired is, is a major blessing. And then once it, once it escalates and multiplies from there, it's, e it's even a, a bigger blessing. Yeah. Cause I, so, I, so I'm, I'm shocked because I thought it was three movies. Obviously, six. It's, yeah, a, it's, but, a, it's a huge shame we didn't get yeah, six. Then, yeah, of course, it's, it's been in development at Fox Studios for four years, and now um, and now uh, Disney bought it. Yeah. So uh, now it's going to evidently it's going to transition right now from a live action to uh, animation. To an animation. Which, so, have, so have you been approached, yeah. Sam, to be in it? Well, no. I, I mean, I met with. Uh, Fox four years ago when they acquired the screenplay rights mm -hmm. and we talked and absolutely yeah we, we, we were talking about making this happen but uh, I told them whatever category you want to use me it's fine you know, I've got four more films coming out this year yeah uh, but whatever you want whatever you want to do it you know you know where I am let's let's get it done 
Because it was or that was it. Maybe if it's not if the live action is going to happen for a while, then maybe maybe Adam the Good Lord's put me in a position to acquire those rights and get it done. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. And so. we could do a yeah. <laughs> we could do a we could do a double uh, a double showing. What do they call it in the UK? Well, a double feature, right? A, a double bill. We could do. Yeah, we do Flash Gordon and the Lion King. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd, I'd certainly be front row for that. Not a problem, Sam. Yeah. Um, actually, what I was going to say before is when you were talking about how the, the movie didn't, you know, it, it might have done well in one country but not so well in another country. I think one of the one of the countries it did really well in was here in the UK. I think it did really yeah, well here. Yeah. No, it, it it really did, Adam. In, it really did. Matter of fact, I spent, I, I mean, I, I, I believe I made nine trips to the UK last year, and I'm sure next year, 2020, for our big uh, 40th anniversary tour, I believe, uh, I'm sure I'm going to make a whole lot of trips to the UK, I Europe, so. Asia, and we're working that out right now. I hope so. It, it, it sounds uh, it sounds excellent. Yeah. <laughs> I really hope you come here to the yeah. UK and Scotland again. But like I say, it did really well in the UK. And uh, my family's got a, a group chat on WhatsApp. And I put on the WhatsApp that I was going to be talking to you because I was so excited. And uh, my, auntie who lives, yeah. uh, my auntie who lives in California, actually, my auntie Carol, uh, recalled when she went to see it in the cinema in 1980 and she said she loved it so much. You just absolutely loved it. Yeah, it was. It's so, even now. It's so uh, they're talking about it's coming out in 4K as well. But it's so vibrant, so rich and colorful. It really is. It is, and it, and it and it's it stood the test of time. I think Sam, like like I said before, I was watching it on Saturday, and um, it it holds up pretty well. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah, it does. Um, yeah, it is, Adam. Wonderful. Yeah, I mean, it's a fantastic movie. I, I really, really love it. So a couple of friends of mine have, have asked me to ask um, some questions, and one which I thought was a good one, Sam, was did you get to keep any of the props or the costumes from Flash Gordon? Oh, yeah. You know, I wish, well, that's a great question. I wish, you know, I was a bit naive, but also, you know, I'm a, before I became an actor, I'm a Southern boy and a Marine. So, you know, I, I didn't want to steal anything. That's not right. No. Um, and I, was, I guess I was afraid to ask. But my gosh, you know, uh, I, I wish I had asked. I wish I had, you know, so many incredible costumes and props. However, I do have, to my knowledge, I have the only Flash T-shirt that, that survived. I think they produced around eight of them. Right. And most of them were, yeah, most of them were ripped and torn. And yeah. by the way, they were all hand painted. You know, the white T-shirt with the red on it, they were all hand painted. Wow. So each one was very, even though they all looked alike, each one was a separate creation. But I kept uh, the only surviving Flash T-shirt. I've had many, many offers for it, but I'm going to hang on to it. You know, unless I get that offer where. You know what? What is that? What is that? I don't want to sell it price. You yeah. know, but um, but I haven't. I've had a lot of collectors contact me <laughs> and said that they want to buy it. Uh, but 
as of right now, I'm, I'm hanging on to it. Oh, I, I bet you will. I, I, I would be hanging on if for sure. It would have to be crazy money, I'd imagine, for you to, to let it go if it's yeah. the only one that's left. Yeah, and, I, and Adam, I've, I've met some collectors with some incredible collections, and they have, oh my God, they, they've got the swords, the props, Timothy Dalton's <clears throat> costume. The other costume I wore, the, the, the big sort of red leather epaulette uh-huh. jacket. Yeah. So, so it looks like the jacket that Michael Jackson wore, the same jacket I wore in Flash Gordon. Yeah. And many other numerous incredible pieces and items. <clears throat> and does the taste. And, uh, but by the way, by the way, for the movie Ted, uh, Ted 2, uh, Seth MacFarlane produced an exact replica of the rocket cycle and he <laughs> gave it to me and, and he gave it to me as a gift wow so, uh, but it, it's i mean it's unique what makes it unique is it's an exact replica of the you know the very first rocket cycle from flash gordon it's the exact same dimensions wow. i'm talking about it's huge i'm talking about 12 feet long <laughs> eight feet high and eight feet wide. That's the rocket cycle. So where do so you? I, where, I own that as well. Yeah. Where, where do you keep it in your living room? <laughs> well, no, it's huge. I mean, I tried to keep it in my in my garage. You know, uh, it won't even fit. In, well, it, it'll fit in my new garage now. But most most standard size garages, it won't even fit because it's eight feet wide. Okay. <laughs> And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Ted, Sam, because, um, you know, I, I watched that movie and it was it was a great movie, which was made even better by your appearance in it. And when I was watching it, I watched it with my wife and um, I was uh, I was in hysterics watching it. And my wife's never seen Flash Gordon, Sam. My wife's never seen it. And she was oh. like, she was like, why? What are you laughing at? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's Flash Gordon, it's hilarious. Did Seth MacFarlane have to convince you to do that? Did he have to ask you twice? Or were you, or were you well up for that, Sam? No, no, no. See, it's another example of, um, you know, of getting one of those calls, you know, later on in life. In other words, I got this call from this guy. He said, hey, I'm Seth MacFarlane. When I was eight years old, you, you influenced, I saw your movie, and when I walked out of the movie theater, I knew I wanted to be in the movies, I wanted to be a creative type person. Yeah. It's all because of you, Sam. So, point is, Adam, I'm getting these calls now from who were once young, who were children. Yeah. A young man, a young woman, who grew up to be decision makers in the movie business. Yeah, and so I'm getting these calls. I'm getting these calls now. So, a, hey, I'm doing this movie. It has a very strong uh, Flash Gordon theme, or I, it, it doesn't have a strong theme. I just want to bring you uh, on board. So it's wonderful. It, 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 it's incredible, and you know, you talk about the generational thing. You know, people like myself or, or Seth MacFarlane who watched it when we were kids, and then we grew up and we show our kids. Um, when when. You were in Edinburgh last year, weren't you, um, for the love of 80s? Well, that was, yeah, and I can't wait to go back. I, bl- I believe I'm, I'm definitely going back next year. We don't have that date yet. But I went to the castle, and I, I tell you, the, the Scottish people are unbelievable. 
I, because you know, I, I, I love history. Yeah. History is one of my, history is one of my most favorite uh, topics. And when I asked the guy uh, at the castle, I said, how many times did this castle fall by in, by enemy hands? And you know what his answer was? Wow. He said, never. He said, <laughs> we, we had to surrender 21 times. I said, what do you mean you surrendered 21 times? <laughs> he said, because we were under siege and we ran out of food and water. I said, are you kidding me? <laughs> so what blew my mind was that the castle was never conquered. Isn't that amazing? It, it is amazing. And I, I live here and I didn't know that, Sam. I didn't oh, know it, that. It, so so my, my, my first question to him uh, after he told me that, I said, I said, wait a minute. <laughs> so it was under it, it, it was under siege twenty one times, and and you surrendered twenty one times. I said, when it came to like the nineteenth or twentieth <laughs> time, why, why didn't you bring it? Here's what I said to him. I said, why didn't you bring in enough food and water for a long, long time? You know what his answer was? Huh. He said, Sam, on the twenty first siege, we had listen to this. They had food and water. For two years, for 2,000 people, it still was not enough. Wow. And they had to surrender. That wow. blew my freaking mind. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? It is so amazing. That is one castle. I think it's one of the few castles in the world that stood, still stands, and was never taken down. Yeah. And, and that's so a, only, that... only, by, only by surrender, you know? And, and, and you know, Sam, Scotland's a, 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 a fantastic historical country there's, there's lots of brilliant castles in um scotland um there's incredible castles castles as well down the northumberland coastline just down from scotland which is where i'm from and the views on the mm. coast the views on the coast there are incredible um so so when you're over if you're over uh, next year give us a give us a ring and I'll, I'll show you some of the castles in northumberland um but what i was going to say to you was yeah, when you were when you were in Edinburgh last year at, at the for the love of the eighties event, I seen you and I briefly met uh, I briefly met you, and uh, what what I was um, amazed at and I found really um, lovely was um, it, yeah, the queue to meet you was massive and <laughs> it was nearly out the door, um, and what I found great was the amount of young kids in that queue and there was a kid must have been about. I don't know, seven or eight, had the Flash Gordon soundtrack on LP um, and, and they wanted you to sign it, a seven or eight-year-old kid. Oh, yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah, that, that's that's what, I mean, I enjoy doing that. You know, I, I try, you know, sometimes I think I spend too much time. I, I, of course, you can tell I, I love to talk a lot. Hang on one second. I stand by. Yes, yes, honey. Yeah, I, I will when I'm done. Yeah, yeah, I'm talking to Scotland right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, no. Sometimes, as you can tell, Adam, I like to talk a lot, and sometimes maybe I, I spend maybe too much time with each uh, each uh, fan that comes to the table. But yeah, I mean, it's that's our job, and I enjoy it. When when the fans spend their money and their time, they, they spend their time to travel. They spend their money. Uh, to travel, they spend their money for admission, 
attendance to get in. Yeah. And then uh, it's, it's up to us to take the time to, um, you know, to, to spend that time, talk to them and find out exactly what they need and to serve their needs and, and, and to take the time to hear their stories. So, yeah, that's, I love it. I really love it. And, and, and you were the reason I went to that event last year wow. in, in Edinburgh. Well, I hope, I, hope, I, hope, I hope I was nice to you. You were. You were very nice. Um, and what I was going to say as well was you were looking in great shape. And I was going to ask you when you were talking about the T-shirt before, does it still fit you? Oh, you know, I, well, I was, I was thinner then. You know, I mean, it was, <laughs> it's that young 20, 23, 24-year-old thinness that you know, a lot of people ask me, how, how, did you do, how did you do all those stunts and fight scenes? And my answer is always the same. I said, any 23-year-old can do anything. Yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? You're, 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 you're young, your body's young. I mean, yes, I worked out then, but you don't really need as a young as a youngster. You don't really need to work out that much. It's just part of your DNA, you know, for uh, to be that young. And of course, I was a, an American footballer. Yeah. So uh, it was all natural for me. But uh, yeah, I still worked out. I mean, I you know, a, a good friend of mine. I think you, I think you met him when you were there, a Lou Frigno. It was the, the Hawk and Mr. Olympia and all that. Yeah. He, he taught me really, uh, he, he's, you know, we're about the same age. He's a couple years older than me right now, but he really, uh, he really gave me great insight into how to work out correct, you know, efficiently now and correctly and, and not wasting time and, and, and not getting hurt. Working out now is about, yeah, it's about staying fit, but it's also about, remaining uh, injury-free. In yeah. other words, don't get injured. Yeah. So it's just about being smart. And um, so, oh my God, I think I traveled with Lou last year 15, 17 times. Right. So we had a great time. Well, if you're going to get working out tips from anywhere, uh, from anyone, um, Lou Ferrigno is a good place to start, I would imagine. That's correct. <laughs> that is correct, buddy. So um, you you mentioned before, Sam, um, that you're coming to the UK again in December this year. Uh, that is for the love of sci-fi in Manchester on the 7th and 8th of December. Yes. Um, re really excited for you coming back to the UK. Um, you know, what, what, what is it about the UK that keeps you coming back, Sam? Why, why do you keep coming back to see us? Well, you know, my, my wife and I talk about this, uh, uh, not all the time, but because we both know how we feel about the UK. In other words, um, years ago, we said, okay, if we were to move, if we had an opportunity to move somewhere else besides the States, especially if it was a job, what would be the number one place that we want, want to move to? And we, and both of us didn't hesitate. We said, the UK, you know, England, Scotland, Ireland, Wales, it doesn't matter. We just, we just love, we just love the people. We love the countryside. We love the history. And uh, so it's a no brainer for us. And the fact that um, this is really the country where it all started for me, you know, this is my, probably my largest fan base in the world. Yeah. And, and this is where, this is where Flash Gordon started for me. It's where it all started. 
So uh, we, we absolutely love it. Well, well, huge, huge fan base for you, Sam. The UK definitely loves you. We'll definitely welcome you and your wife and your family with open arms if you come to live here. That is for sure. But yeah, uh, for the love of for the love of sci-fi, um, uh, have you been to Manchester before? Is that a place you've been to before? Oh gosh, Manchester? yes, yes, Manchester. I, I think I've been there at least at least three times over the years. You know, for for the for the big the, the big shows. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and and where where else have you been? If so, if, you, if you you know you love the UK, Scotland, where else have you been? In the UK, Sam. Well, I, 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 the question should be, I believe, is where haven't I been? Now, <laughs> I've been to all, I've been to all the major cities, but I've not been to some of the smaller communities. And I'm, I'm starting to do uh, the smaller communities, even though the comic cons are not as large. But to me, that doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. Uh, I discovered that I don't really need to go to a large event. Uh, just go to a smaller uh, venue, especially the villages and the, and the towns I've not been to yet. So, yeah, there's still a lot to see. It's yeah. just like uh, America. There's so many cities. To, everybody thinks of New York and L.A. and Miami and Texas. Yeah, those are all great places. Uh, but there's so many cities, thousands of cities to see in America. It's the same with the U.K., yeah. There's so many cities I've not seen. And now, uh, next year, most likely, I'll be traveling with my family again because last year I took my wife and some of my, my kids to the UK. Right. And next year, I'll be, doing, I'll be doing that again. Places that we haven't seen that I'll get to bring my family as well. So when are we going to find out, Sam, about the big Flash Gordon reunion tour? When's, when's that getting... Well it's, well, it's happening now, meaning, I mean, we don't start until January of 2020 because that's, that's you know, that's the year 2020. Yeah. Uh, but right now we're, we're, we're booked. Uh, everything is, is being finalized for the first couple of events right now. Right. I've got myself, Melody Anderson, and Brian Blessed that are committed right now to the entire world tour. And, um, and Brian's great. You know, he's, uh, Melody is as well. Uh, but also coming on board, we're, we're talking to all the other key cast members and some of the supporting cast members. Yeah. And I'm sure they're all going to, I'm sure they're all going to join us. But, but we, it should start in January and we'll extend it all the way through, uh, through till December of 2020. And it's going to be, like I said, we want to hit, all the major, not hits, but <laughs> <laughs> you got to be careful on the certain vernaculars that we use these, these days. But we're going to attend, um, you know, all the, all the, not all, but a lot of the key events, the already pre-existing, pre-scheduled events yeah. in the UK, in Europe, and in Asia. And we're very, very excited about it. Uh, uh, it it sounds very, very exciting. Um, when you, when it's announced, uh, the dates for coming over here, um, I'll I'll definitely be there for sure. Um, are you a soccer fan, Sam? Do you like soccer? Oh yeah, I love it. I absolutely love it. My gosh. Do you have a what, what Do you have a British team? Do you have you a know, UK I, team? I, I, you know, I never. Um, 
I never, in the early years, we didn't really play much of that over here in the States. No. So I never really, I never really understood it, which means I never respected it until one day I played it. I played it in my 30s. Right. I was in a, I was in an, on an island called Mauritius. Yeah. Making a movie in 1986. And the locals challenged the American film crew <laughs> to a soccer football match. Right. And, and from that, and they, I think they beat us 20 to zero, <laughs> 20 to Z, and uh, 20 to nil. And that's when I started to respect the sport. But um, I'm just a huge fan. I'm a huge fan of, and I know, or maybe uh, Manchester, uh, hopefully, if it's the season. Uh, maybe I could see a match when I'm there in early December. Yeah. Yeah. So there's two. Uh, yeah. To see the football, the Premier League will be on then. So that, there's you got to be careful because there's two teams in Manchester, big rivals, Manchester United and Manchester City. Right. But well, maybe I could see both. Maybe I could see both of them. Maybe you could. <laughs> there, there might be a derby are, on that. Yeah. Oh, I could take are, you to are see. They actually I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, or oh, you could come with me and go and watch Newcastle United. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've heard really good things about that team as well. <laughs> um, Sam, I've, I could talk to you all night. Um, thank you so much for, for sparing your valuable time to talk to me. I know my listeners are going to be so um, excited to listen to this uh, podcast w with with yourself, okay. like like I said before, and you mentioned as well, you know the the longevity of um, Flash Gordon um, and yourself. You know, you said before you found that you don't need to go to the big comic cons. It's be it's because you're Sam Jones. It's because you you're Flash Gordon, um, and and you're, you're just like I said at the very start when I introduced you, a massive massive iconic figure. In, in popular yeah. culture so I've really raised the bar on this podcast I don't know how I'm going to top you um, <laughs> but thank you so much you got it buddy Sam J. Jones there the one and only Flash Gordon very chatty wasn't he a <laughs> very chatty guy and you are all my witnesses you all heard him call me buddy so we're basically best friends now. I'm sure he'll be inviting uh, me and my family over to his house in the States very, very soon. <laughs> um, again, I was very lucky to get to speak to Sam. So, so lucky. Um, an absolute privilege to talk to all of the guests on this episode, which is way, way, way longer than any episode I've ever done. But I hope you agree. It's time well spent. So all that's left for me to do is to remind you that this show is available on an app called PodCoin and the app is free and it's available on Apple and Android. Like I say, absolutely free to download. I'm on there. Your other favorite podcasts will be on there as well. And PodCoin is the only app that rewards you for listening to podcasts and the way it works is the more you listen the more points you get and you can convert those points into gift cards uh, for places such as uh, amazon and uh, or i should say you can convert your points to cash that gets donated to charity so either way everybody wins that's podcoin a free app on apple or android
So that's it, the end of my Flash Gordon episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Like I said before there, it's a, it's a, it's a much longer episode than what I normally do. But, you know, three mega guests deserves that amount of time, I think. And, you know, like I said before, this is, this is my 50th episode. My 50th episode. It's nearly, in a couple of weeks' time, my one-year anniversary. My very first episode was about 14 minutes talking about one of my favourite movies, The Burbs. 50, episode, uh, 50 episodes later, um, I've, got, I've started having guests on the show. And here I am sitting talking to Sam Jones, Melody Anderson and Lisa as well, um, having an absolute ball. And I hope you agree that over the last year, the, the show has evolved for the better. Thank you very much for listening, sincerely. And thanks again to the executive producers for this episode, Martin Wilcox. I don't know why I keep giving you your, your Sunday name, Marty. <laughs> executive producers, Marty Wilcox and Glenn Davies. Thank you very much. I will speak to you again soon. Thank you. Now, a five-quart jug of Napa Full Synthetic Motor Oil in a Platinum Filter is just $23.98. That's a great deal for a great oil, which is another reason why this is the most wonderful time of the year. That's Napa Full Synthetic Oil in a Platinum Filter for $23.98. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa Know-How. Napa Know-How. General States pricing. Sales prices do not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. While supplies last. Offer ends 12 15 19. Napa Know-How. Right now, a five-quart jug of Napa Full Synthetic Motor Oil in a Platinum Filter is just $23.98. That's a great deal for a great oil, which is another reason why this is the most wonderful time of the year. That's Napa Full Synthetic Oil in a Platinum Filter for $23.98. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa Know-How. Napa Know-How. General States pricing. Sales prices do not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. While supplies last. Offer ends 12 15 19